0: you know, as I touched on already today, like, you know, engaging with the practice from a place of stability and openness so that we can really learn from everything. I think that's really the most important thing, at least for me, you know, that keeping my mind open and, you know, being willing to learn from the, you know, from the mistakes as well as from the the successes in the practice. Because in that sense, you know, it's all the same. We can learn from everything. And uh, I've brought a poem which I want to read out at the beginning. And this is by a friend of, of ours. His name is Maddy Weingast. And the poem is like this. It's called uh, Victor. Or Victress, actually, a female version of that word. When everyone else was meditating... I'd be outside, circling the hall. Finally, I went to confess. I'm hopeless, I said. The elder nun smiled. Just keep going, she said. Nothing stays in orbit forever. If this circling is all you have, why not make this circling your home? I did as she told me and went on circling the hall. If you find yourself partly in and partly out, If you find yourself drawn to this path and also drawing away, I can assure you, you you're in good company. Mm -hmm. Just keep going. Sometimes the most direct path isn't a straight line. Yeah, and you know, that speaks very deeply to my own experience, and uh, you know, if. If we can't get out of it, we have to get deeper into it, you know, until we get to the bottom of something and, uh, you know, see where it takes us. And I think that's very much my experience in the practice, you know, that uh, if, if certain things are really scary or they repeat themselves a lot, it's really important to not shut down, but rather go deeper into it and see, you know, what it needs to teach us. And, uh, and sometimes, you know, if we go too far or almost too far, then we, we bump against the precept, for example, you know, and then we just turn back. And in this way, you know, we can peel away these layers and layers of, of uh, cognitive and emotional filters, you know, which are result of the conditioning and which keep us, you know, keep us, in bondage, so to say, you know, which keep us in uh, imprisoned and which keep us in um, misunderstanding what's really there and seeing our projections, you know, coming to life, basically. And we need to really, uh, you know, have the stability and the openness to come really cl- close enough to it so we can see what's going on here if you want to keep it all at arm's length then it's not going to reveal itself so it's important to really be coming closely and then coming closely means you know, to l- really al- also take the opportunity to learn from our mistakes and I personally a lot of what I've learned comes from having made mistakes and having had enough you know kind of groundedness and also support from friends and and from community you know to be able to to really stay with the embarrassment and and uh, you know whatever comes up sometimes if we you know wake up to something we have been uh, assuming or doing or saying and then oh my dear oh god you know and feeling really very bad about it but being just You know, being just kind of strong enough to be able to stay with this very unpleasant thinking, feeling or whatever comes up. I think that's very, very transformative, you know, because it really transforms us from inside and that's the only practice which really works, you know, to really take it in what happened or what, you know, what we have been assuming in our blindness and then allow that to really reverberate through the system, and then the mind will adjust, the mind will adapt. You know, this vulnerability, which we all have, you know, the, these bodies and minds, they are very fluid systems because they are so vulnerable. And because of that, they can adapt. And that's the great, you know, opportunity we have as human beings. This is why this birth is considered very fortunate, because we can... Uh, we can make experiences and we can learn from them. And, and our systems are, are in such a state, you know, that there's enough, it's a mixture of pleasure and and pain, basically, for many of us, you know, of those who are fortunate enough. Such a mixture, you know, that we can really maximally learn from our experience and not drown in it. Because we can, you know, can carve out some time for practice. We don't have to constantly, you know, make money to eat, basically, or run away, and you know, like animals, be constantly fearful of being eaten by somebody else. So we have a good opportunity to really uh, use what we have got for diving you know, ever deeper in what's happening in the present moment. We don't need to run after a particular experience. We can just work with what is coming up. And, uh, you know, staying open. I think that's the, for me, you know, what the definition of wisdom is, is to stay open to experience and not shut down. And, you know, feel our way, sometimes in the dark, you know, because the noble eightfold path is is a, is a rough sketch and we have to feel in the details by just uh, making mistakes sometimes. And, you know, through having the, the three refugees we have a clear compass, I think, and then the precept you know kind of is like a damage control, basically, you know that we won't get too far, we won't waste too much energy, so you know there's we have a very good set of uh guidelines, and then the rest is 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 experimenting and and uh what's this other word to improvise there's a lot of improvisation it's an art and a science Buddha Dasa always said you know practice is an art and a science it's not just like uh, following there is no hard and fast rules besides the precepts I think you know and a few other definitions but then we have to make it make them our own and uh, most important is you know to keep to keep that kind of a balance through equanimity and perseverance, so that we can see in hindsight sometimes only you know and and then really learn from that, I have really learned most of of the really important stuff like that, and that's why Sangha is very important because we need you know need some support for that, otherwise we're just gonna grumble you know and uh, but then if we you know, have friends and then they, you know, can share with us that they had similar experiences, then it, it becomes something which is no longer so crushing, you know, to us. And and we can see this is just a situation and it's just the way it is, basically. I'm not, you know, the only one who is having these kinds of experiences and that's why I think, you know, practice discussions, group... Discussions are really important because often we think, you know, everybody else is having, you know, the most blissful kind of experiences and sitting, you know, very wonderfully. And then we find out actually everyone is struggling. A lot of the time at least. And it's just uh, great to know, you know. It gives us a sense of uh, okayness about it. So... So you know, an image for the path which we can find in in the suttas is you know like the ocean floor. First, you know, it's, it's a gradual slope, and then suddenly it's a drop off, and then a gradual slope, and another drop off. And those drop offs, you know, are the real the mind changing or heart changing insights. And we don't know when they're gonna come, but we can just you know bear with the gradual path as long as it takes, because we like to have, you know, these sudden drop-offs, we kind of would like to have them more often than they happen. And those real deep insights which, you know, where we feel really uh, some significant change afterwards. And, uh, but these, you know, these gradual, long stretches, they are necessary to cultivate the mind and cultivate this subtlety and the sensitivity of the mind so that the mind can see deeper into reality. Because it's that, you know, refining of the mind which you come back to the same situations, the same life again and again, but because of the greater refinement of the mind, we can see more. We can see wider, and we can see deeper, and we can see more connections, and we can see the context more. And through that seeing, you know, that conditioning factors, you know, which keep us, um, you know, which keep us experiencing you know, what it is to be a human being, but through through the refinement of the mind, what's called like the seven factors of awakening, you know, we see more and more clearly how that conditioning, how that operates. And through seeing that more and more clearly, we don't take it so personal, because we understand, you know, if this, if something, you know, if this arises, that is the result of it, and it's no longer seen as a personal process, but it's seen as laws of nature, working, and we can learn, you know, to emphasize the skillfulness and to de-emphasize the unskillfulness. And in this way, you know, we are kind of making some progress in terms of, uh, you know, having some choices what we encourage and having some choices what we don't encourage. And that's how we can, you know, over time we can deconstruct unwholesome patterns and construct wholesome patterns. And the noble eightfold path we can say, you know, is is the is the template which speaks about all of the different factors which need to be considered. And. Uh, Upeke, equanimity, or equipoise is the English translation for this word. And in German, it's very interesting, in German, Upeke would be translated, the German word is gleichmut, and if I translate it into English, it means steady or constant courage, which means, you know, no matter if it's up or down, the courage just stays the same, the courage to connect. Because through connecting with whatever is happening, we can learn. And, uh, you know, accomplished teachers such as Ajahn Buddha Dasa, you know, that was the first thing, you know, what stood out for me. And and those two monks I met in the train in Burma, what I was mentioning earlier in the morning, you know, that what stood out for me as most attractive and and interesting and mysterious was their their constant, constancy, you know, that they didn't flinch, it was hot or cold or loud or whatever. They could just be there. They didn't need to have it otherwise. They had that strength of mind and they could like just really open and allow things to be what they are without needing to constantly, you know, interfere and have it different and conserve energy for when it's really important to, to do something, you know, to act, to interfere. But not every little thing, you know, try to manipulate every little thing, being constantly, you know, hunting after more comfort. But having that, you know, having having the strength to choose when it's important to do something or say something, and when can I just let it go. And I think, you know, this, um, this quality... I have seen in 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 those teachers, which, you know, and then I felt I felt really attracted that I, I wanted to be close to them and I wanted to learn from them, because I wanted to also be like that. This this unshakability of the heart, you know, which can can stay with experience and then you know learn from it and then make some informed choices, you know. I think that. Seems to be, you know, for me the most uh, inspiring quality, and that's what what really got me into the, you know, got me into the monastery at that time, and and bear with all of the causes and conditions there, we had to sleep on a concrete floor on a very thin, you know, mat, and and all kinds of things. It was pretty extreme for me, you know, and. I, because I've never done all of those things before. And I didn't think I could do it, you know. But then I tried and it wasn't that difficult actually because of, you know, seeing that teacher and just knowing, you know, he has trained himself in that way. So I was thinking I could try to do that too, you know. And then actually it wasn't that difficult because a lot of the problems are really just in the mind. Yeah, there was a wonderful uh, time, you know, where there were so many things which I did for the first time, things I didn't think I could do, you know. couldn't imagine that I could give up smoking and all kinds of things, you know, which was necessary in order to be there. And I could. And I thought I never can go, get up at 4 o'clock 10 days in a row, and I could. It wasn't so difficult because the heart had recognized that something much more valuable than comfort. And then it was just, like, r- rather easy to do it because there was something else which was much more attractive than any any comfort because it was that comfort, you know, which comes from understanding and from, yeah, from just, f- you know, feeling that I was... Kind of um you know at the beginning of of um of finding out something completely new I'd never really heard about, you know, not in university and not in books, nowhere else, even I always wanted to know these things, but i it had never occurred to me that I need to go in a monastery in order to learn those things, because I was thinking I can find it, you know, I was trying to find it in in studying, yeah, and and it was not there. So, yeah, that was a very, um, you know, wonderful time when I, for the first time, you know, got that, Conviction: There is something there. There is a solution there, and uh, you know that that um, capacity not to not shut down and to not get lost in our experience. And uh, you know, I like to compare that when we, for example, you know, want to make fire with fire sticks. You know, we have to just have a lot of evenness, of application of our strength. If you're doing it too hard, you know, it doesn't work. And if you're just, you know, starting and stopping and starting and stopping, it's never gonna work either. So there has to be this evenness and the perseverance of of just, you know, not, not uh, pushing too much, but... <coughs> pushing a little bit. It's a a very kind of, you know, subtle balance, which we need to arrive at through making mistakes. And, uh, you know, like riding the waves. I don't know, this is a Kuan Yin, for example, but you know, sometimes Kuan Yin is also depicted on, on riding on a dragon. You know, there is this. In this case, it's a turtle, but you know the strength of the turtle or the the powerful energy of the dragon, and she's riding it. You know, she is not falling off it, and she can use that strength. You know, for for her path, and uh, and I think you know, America is called Turtle Island. I'm, I'm sure you know all of that. You know, the continent, and so she's very particularly. Good for for Americans, you know, riding on a turtle. Yeah. So that kind of balance, you know, the the subtleness of, of the way, you know, how she looks and with the beautiful mudra and with the hands, you know, and then she's riding on this very powerful um, earth element. And we are all in the same situation, you know. We are also on this planet and earth element, you know the planet is attracting us through gravity. So it's very clear, you know, we belong here. That's where we learn. And so, and then the Buddha, you know, in the night of his enlightenment, it said he was was, uh, calling on the earth, you know, asking the earth to be his witness, that he has earned the enlightenment, you know, that he has really done his work by, you know, having really used the human incarnation for learning, you know, really, because uh, we c- everything what needs to be understood in order for the mind to be liberated, you know, we can learn through this form. And, and uh, you know, equanimity is also a second word for it. It's a very long one and, and it's called Datra macha Tata. That means they, they are in the middleness, you know. Just like I have experienced, Ajahn Buddha Dasa to be, you know, embodying that, and the Kuan Yin embodies it, and and we can do that too. And the, you know, the word equanimity features like mainly in three versions in the in the Theravada teaching or in early Buddhism. Number 1 is as a, as a Brahma Vihara, a divine abode. You know the metta, karuna, mudita and upeka. Upeka is like the sum total of the first three ones. metta, karuna and, and and mudita together is upeka. And uh and sometimes you know we can if we compare like metta with the sun at midday, you know, shining the same on on everyone and then karuna is the sun you know which is going down in the evening and is shining down to those which are less fortunate than ourselves and mudita gladness is the sun coming up in the morning you know and and uh, the sun rays you know in all in the dew drops in this le- very glorious lights and is the a lot of joy in that, a lot of uplift and then Ubeka would be in comparison to these other three sons, it'd be more like the full moon, you know, the cool coolness of the full moon or the laugh of a of a grandmother, you know, who has been seeing everything already and knows, you know, her child can only or her grandchild can only learn through making mistakes. That's the way to learn. You can't really spoon feed it. You have to just sit back and and be there. So that kind of equanimity and or impartiality, we can also call it. You know, having a bird's eye view on everything, being able to step back and let things take their course and not interfere or interfere at the right time. But from a place of equanimity not from a place of, you know, willpower or or control. And the classic canonical, you know, sentence to bring up that equanimity would be, you know, everybody is the heir of their own karma, that kind of reflection. That doesn't mean that we don't help. Of course we help and do what we can, but we know everyone is the heir of their own karma, and everybody needs to learn. And we can support people, but we can't protect them from making mistakes. That's just what, what we need to learn sometimes. And then the second time when Upeka comes up is as a, one of the seven factors of awakening, the Bojangas. And in that context, it's translated as equipoise, not as equanimity, as equipoise. And it's a a non-judgmental, non-preferential awareness, you know, which doesn't pick and choose, but which just is open and learns from what it knows. And and through that, you know, non-judgmental awareness, we are more paying attention to the structure of our experience and being not so glued to the content, you know, not so glued to the stories, but more seeing okay, you know, everything what's coming up is impermanent, unsatisfactory and empty of a self. Rather than getting lost in the in the story. That also you know, helps you know stepping back and And from that place of of equipoise, then you know, paying attention to those features of experience, seeing the impermanence, and then allowing that seeing of impermanence to change us, to wash away the, the craving, wash away the clinging, because the mind, which clearly sees impermanence in action, does let go. This is a natural result. Like, you know, if you touch. A hot plate for a few times or maybe two times will will be enough you know you won't touch it anymore because it's painful so it's it's you know to uh, to support a natural learning it's not that we have to um you know it's not an accumulation of more knowledge but it's more like a removal of wrong seeing of those filters I spoke about before, those cognitive and emotional filters, to remove them through learning. And then we see clearly, and we haven't added anything to it, but we have let go of something. We have put down something, which has been, you know, distorting perception. And then, you know, by putting down something, Washing away those distorted ways of seeing, we suddenly look at the same experience, and we see a much bigger picture. We can see that, you know, whole context, and then everything is different. You know, we haven't gone to a different planet, or you know, we're still here, still the same life. But things are seen much, much more deeply, how they really work. And, uh, and through that, you know, seeing really clearly, seeing really deeply, letting go is the result of it, not interfering. And still, you know, sometimes doing something about it and sometimes not doing something about it, depending on what, what's suitable. And then also, Upeka is also one of the ten parameters, you know, the ten uh, furtherances, they are sometimes called, or the ten perfections. And uh, there are, you know, ten ways how we can step out of our ego. Ten ways how we can, you know, try to encourage the mind to develop in certain, in those ten, those ten qualities. And upeka being one of the most important ones of those ten, upeka and uh, passions, kanti. Those two, are, you know, the most important ones for the path to unfold in its own, you know, organic intelligence. Because the Dhamma is, is leading onwards. It's an organic quality of the Dhamma which... Means, you know, if we really act on what we have seen in the meditation, if we really act on what we know to be true, it will open up, the path will just open up in its own way, you know, and giving us opportunities to uh, come to situations which are growthful, you know, for us. They are not necessarily comfortable, but growthful in terms of, of Dhamma. And, uh, and I have another of these poems which I want to share with you. And I have, here I have two versions, the original Therigata by Bhikkhuni Bhadra. And then I have uh, a contemporary poem by Mehdi Weingast which is inspired by this Therigata. So that's Bhadra Terigata. And she says, Having gone forth out of faith, appreciate your blessings, Bhadra. Develop skillful qualities for the sake of that unsurpassed safety from all that holds you back. And that's those emotional and cognitive filters. They hold us back because we are projecting them onto reality and then You know, they appear to us as hopes and fears. And she says, you know, appreciate your blessings and develop skillful qualities. The blessings, you know, we already have by having a human birth and having made contact, you know, with the Dhamma, knowing how to practice to a certain extent. And then, you know, through those instructions, we can develop more and more skillful qualities for the sake of that unsurpassed safety from all that holds you back. And then a contemporary poem by Maddie. Lucky. You always considered yourself lucky because things seemed to work out the way you wanted. Now, Luck has a different meaning. lucky to be walking a path that finds peace in the arising and passing away of each present moment, regardless of how things work out or don't hmm. and I think you know that's really what it, what the essence of the path would be, you know to focus on the structure which is the arising and passing away, regardless of how things work out or don't. Because sometimes they work out and sometimes they don't. But that is not really the most important thing. Because if we really can be with the working out or not working out, we will see in that, very working out and not working out, it is impermanent. You know, Because what is considered a working out, at one phase of one's life, might be the opposite later on, and vice versa. It's all very relative, you know. And and that's what is meant, you know, with really seeing the Dhamma, is to see that which is fundamental to experience, and that's not stories. What is fundamental to experience is, is those laws of nature, you know, which... are described in the teaching as the three characteristics, impermanence, unsatisfactoriness, and empty of a self. That's what is the common denominator of all experiences. And, uh, you know, if that is really deeply known, then everything is known. Because all other things are kind of variations on a theme. It's only, you know, as long as the mind is stuck on pleasant and unpleasant weather now, for example. If that's the most important thing, then we can't really see that, you know. Because we are too, we have this tunnel vision, you know. We just want more comfort, more comfort, and we are afraid of discomfort. And then, you know, we can get lost in that, in that pursuit. And we can live with many, many lifetimes and not wake up. And waking up means, you know, to wake up to the fact that this is just secondary, you know. It's secondary, the story, but what is really liberating and what is the most important features, you know, to pay attention to is is those three characteristics because they are liberating. And the, uh, you know, the four Satipatthana, for example, they're like a framework to support us to look at certain features of experience we usually don't look at because we are too caught up in the hopes and fears, too caught up in the stories. And then through the four Satipatthana, we just kind of turn the whole thing around and we start looking at that which we normally don't look. And then, you know, we get the hang of it. And then through practice... Those features, you know, start to stand out much more because we, we intuitively understand that this is the way to go in order to, you know, to be, come independent from, hope and fear, and we still, you know, we still can try, you know, to make things happen and, and as, you know, not be eaten by tigers and and not have a traffic accident. All of those mm-hmm. things, of course, we will do those. It's not that we just don't care. But we do what we can, you know, and then if we can't do more than that, then we just, we're okay with whatever. Until the next opportunity for choice comes up, we take that choice, but we are not despairing, you know, if we don't get our way. Because we know that this is not the most important thing, the what we are experiencing isn't the most important thing but how we are meeting experience this is where we have the potential to liberate ourselves from a lot of you know heartache and a lot of dukkha if we can open to the way things are and flow with that and make choices when possible and and be okay when if if there is no choice because sometimes there is no choice and the only choice is how we are meeting it and i think that's you know what this poem expresses here by saying You always considered yourself lucky because things seemed to work out the way you wanted. Now, luck has a different meaning. Lucky to be walking a path that finds peace in the arising and passing away of each present moment, regardless of how things work out or don't. And then quite often, you know, sometime later, we think, oh, I'm so glad I didn't get what I wanted because it's much better that way. And I think most people, you know, who have lived more than, are older than 30, they already got the hang of that, isn't it? So that's really mm-hmm. wonderful. And for that, you know, we need this equanimity and and how you, to develop it. I've taken a few points down here. Is How to develop equanimity is, you know, this very well known uh, quote by and cha you know the cup is already broken you know i have a beautiful cup here and i use it in a way like i know one day it's going to break so when it breaks it won't be such a big thing for me because i already know it's part of a cup is you know when the cup was created the brokenness of the cup was created at the same time And I use it as long as I have it. And if it breaks, you know, I hope there will be another cup. And if not, I can drink like that, if it needs to be. Or I can make myself a cup out of paper. And the next one is to associate with wise and equanimous people, you know, who can give us a an example of how we can be equanimous. And then that that wraps up on us, you know, because it's a very attractive quality if somebody has that. And then we'd like to do it ourselves. We can try and we can do it. And then the next one is practice the Brahma Vihara of equanimity with this classical phrase, you know, all beings are the heirs of their own karma, including ourselves. And happiness depends on our actions, not on our wishes. But our motivation, you know, having a clear motivation is also important because it's going to get us thinking and then get us talking and then we are doing actions. So we, it, needs, it starts with the mind. And then the next one is practice continuous mindfulness and wise attention which means, you know, seeing impermanence. And there's this lovely story which I've told many times, but you might not have heard it, you know, it's that story about there is um, an old farmer and he has only you know, only one horse in order to plow the field and one day the horse runs away and he's a, and everybody in the village says, oh, you know, the, the poor farmer, the horse has run away and now he can't you know, can't plow his field. And he's a very wise man, and he says, let's see, who knows, you know. And then uh, two days later, the horse comes back and brings along three other horses. (laughs) And then everybody says, oh, he's so lucky now, he has four horses. And he says, now, who knows? And then uh, his son is uh, helping him, you know, to, to train those horses. And in this effort, the son falls from the horse and breaks his leg. And then everybody says again, oh you know, the poor farmer, his son's broken his leg, who will help him, you know, who will help him now to kind of do his farming. And the farmer says, who knows, you know, who knows if it's good or bad. And then the next day, people come from the capital and they want to have, you know, able-bodied young men to go to war. And the farmer's son can't go because he has a broken leg. And he says, oh, I'm so glad my son can't go, he has a broken leg. And on and on it goes, you know. So we never really know if something is good or bad because it depends. And I think you know, that's what's meant in having this insight into conditionality because everything is relative. Everything is relative. To understand that, really. And uh, to see the context and, and, you know, and seeing the context brings peace. This pieces is, is a result <coughs> of letting go and not a result of control. <coughs> and the letting go is, you know, letting go of these hopes and fears in terms of comfort and, uh, you know, trusting that if we act on what we know to be true <coughs> and if we, you know, make... You know, make our choices when we can make them, and just opening to how it is when we, when we can't make it another choice other than receiving it, then we will develop that equanimity more and more because it will, if we can stay with the process, it always opens up again, and it's a mysterious truth, you know, and. We cannot grasp it with the thinking mind, but we can experience it, and and you know gain more and more confidence in that this is really so. And sometimes it takes quite some time, you know, to for something to become clear. It Can take years. It can take years. And uh, just ending by reading the original one more time. Bhadra Terigata, having gone forth out of faith, appreciate your blessings, Bhadra. Develop skillful qualities for the sake of that unsurpassed safety from all that holds you back. which makes it so clear, you know, it's not about adding more. It's about shedding. So it's not, you know, it's not uh, rocket science necessarily. It, it, it It is, you know, a willingness to really allow ourselves to be touched by life and to you know to appreciate our blessings and to kind of develop skillful circumstances you know for example by having us you know practicing in a sangha practicing with others who might be a little bit ahead of us on the path you know and who can help us to stay on course when the going gets tough you know and And remembering, you know, the Kuan Yin here, you know, who is riding on that big energy, you know, which is available for all of us because we are connected to this planet and we are connected to this earth, you know, because we are made out and permeated by earth element and we are constantly, you know, held here through this gravity which we can connect into if we remember it and everything what we need, you know, is, is here. We just need to see it. And meditation is the tool, you know, for, for really um, clearing away all that which holds us back from seeing clearly. So I think that's what I wanted to share.